that off until one day, someday, out in the future. <laughs> There's no grave going to hold me down. I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, <laughs> yet not I, but the life I now live. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we can't live from the dead man. He's dead. We have to live from the new man. Where old things are passed away and all things have become new. Cecil shared his testimony last week about the things that God has delivered him out of. Abuse and, and shame. And if you live in that, then this song will just mean one day I'll finally be set free. Instead of whom the sun sets free, it's free indeed. Today is that day that we pivot and turn. That we, we don't keep going the way that we were going. That, that's what repent is. It really means to turn and come up. To come up higher. Come up higher kind of like where we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's where we need to come up to. Anything that you see that's not from that position is a lie. For too long, we've identified with the dead man or even those in the story, his story. This past week, the Lord has really been dealing with me about consider. What are you considering? What are you considering? Abraham didn't consider his body nor his wife's body, but believed God. And the Lord's been asking me, Todd, what are you considering? And he began to show me through the word, we consider different things. And he, he began to show me characters in the Bible. He said, who do you identify with? Do you identify with Peter, who's boisterous and strong-willed, but denied? Do you identify, who do you identify with? Is it Mary? who just wanted to sit at his feet? Is it, is it Martha, who was busy about a lot of different things? Who is it that you identify with in, those, in the Gospels? And you know what I've realized? is when the Lord asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. What I've seen in my life is a couple of things he's trying to do. One is either expose a lie that we've believed, or two is shift our focus to make it proper to see like he sees. And as I began to look over all of these people, he said, if you've identified with any of them, you're wrong. The only one in the Gospels you should be identifying with is me, because he who's joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. So when we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the one that we should identify with is the Lord Jesus Christ, because John 14 said, 12 says, greater works than these. He who believes in me, Greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Christ, our example, the anointed one, his anointed. We're called Christians. That means that we look like him. <laughs> That's who we should look like, is we should look like him. We shouldn't look, we shouldn't identify. Do we have seasons in our life when those things are real to us? Absolutely. It is then that we still set our gaze on him and we declare who he says I am. Not who I feel like I am. You know, feelings are great. I had a professor at Bible college who said this. Feelings are great. God gave them to us. 
I had one guy I listened to. He said, no, he didn't. Feelings came from the fall. But I believe God gave them to us. My professional Bible college said, feelings are great, but they're a terrible engine in a great caboose. <laughs> For those who don't know what a train looks like, the engine's in the front. It's what's driving everything and pushing everything, and the caboose is just what kind of follows in behind. Feelings are great if you've got them in their proper perspective. But if your feelings is what's driving you, they'll drive you insane. It's a short road. But if we choose to put our bodies under, to put our mind under, and live from where we're already seated, then we don't sing that one day we'll be set free. We'll declare whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And that's what he wants for us today. Not just sing a good song, hear a good word, but to make adjustment. As, as Nanette has said many times, in many Christians' lives, there's a lot of adjectives and not many verbs. We want to describe my gifting, my calling, what God's done, or who I think God's calling me to be. Instead of, here's what God, because of who I am, here's what I do. <laughs> yeah, he's that good. And what Cam said, and I believe that every time we gather, there's an invitation. It may not be like in a traditional church, an invitation to get born again at the altar, an invitation to join the church, open the, the doors of the church, open, who would like to come down and join the fellowship? No, but there's an invitation. You know how I know that? Because every time we gather, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. So every time we gather, there's an opportunity for us to get sharper. So anytime there's an opportunity for me to grow and come up higher to repent, see, that's a word that we need to redeem too, because repentance has been tagged to beating my breast and trying to pay for what God's already paid for. Repentance is not how sorry you are. Repentance is how good he is. I changed my mind. That he's good in spite of me. So every time that we come together corporately, I believe there's an opportunity, there's an invitation to make change. And little, little changes can make huge differences. Absolutely. Little by little. You can get off just a little bit. You know, the Lord highlighted this to me. I don't fly. I fly in a plane, somebody else being the pilot, but I'm not a pilot. But in a plane, attitude, the attitude affects altitude. The attitude of the plane affects the altitude of the plane. <laughs> It's a law. Here's what I know about laws. You don't have to believe in them, and they still work. I can stand right here in front of you and say, I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe in gravity. I do not believe in gravity because I do not understand all the principles that make gravity work. I do not believe in gravity. Gravity is bigger than you. <laughs> Light bulb. But when I believe in gravity, there are things that are to my benefit because I don't have to know all the, the workings of gravity, but I can know this, that gravity will work the same for every person on the planet. If 
if there wasn't gravity, we'd all be shot out into space because the earth that we're on is spinning. We'd all be shot out into nothing. Well, it's not nothing. It's something he created. But anyway, my point is this. Gravity serves a purpose. And if we went up on top of a building and, and stepped off the building and say, God killed that person because God created gravity. No, God saved everyone else on the planet because they didn't shoot up in the air to stop that one man from hitting the ground. <laughs> so when we believe a truth, then the power of that truth is released in our life. And here's what I know, and I'm going to talk some more about this in just a moment. Then uh, I'll stop. But what I believe affects how I live. What I know doesn't necessarily affect what I live. And here's, here's what I know. Is that for many years of my life, I was living out of knowledge and not out of belief. What do you mean? I could take my Bible and tell you where my knowledge is and what I believe the Bible to say to be true for me today. But how many of those truths was I living by? Hmm. And so what the Lord has been showing me is that what we know is great. But what we believe is what shapes our lives. You live by your beliefs. I believe gravity works. Therefore, I don't get on top of the house and step off the edge and see if I'll float. Could a miracle take place and I just levitate there? Yep, Jesus did it. He didn't step off a roof and levitate, but when he, when he went to heaven, so they were gathered and Jesus lifted up and met, went into the clouds. He defied gravity. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going there. But as we move forward today, you know what? We're just going to do it. We'll transition at the end. Thank you, guys. <coughs> Amen. Because I don't want us to feel this. I love transition. I love activation. I love impartation. But many times we think this is worship, and now we have to just move into word. We move into a different phase, a different aspect. If my heart is open to know him, I continue in worship, whether someone's singing or someone's teaching. It just has to be a shift in my mind that I can't allow <clears throat> my, my mind, my emotions to be what drives me and directs me. You know, last week, uh, it was just beautiful. And um, one of the things this week as I was studying, the, the Lord's really been stirring in my heart about considering. Todd, what are you considering? And we'll talk about that out of Romans in just a moment, how, what Abraham considered. But as I was meditating on that this week, I can't remember what day it was, all of a sudden the Lord brought uh, Emily's word back to me out of Ezekiel 37. And so I just began to pray into that and meditate on, on what was going on <coughs> uh, in, in Ezekiel 37. And she read it last week, I'm just going to, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, and um, 
says this, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and sat me down in the midst of the valley and it was full of bones. I, I, I just want to stop for a moment. Ah. I want us to see our God is a supernatural God. So many times we try to make him natural so we can wrap our minds around him so that we can know him instead of believe him. Let me say it this way, so that we know about him instead of intimately know him. There's a difference. I, I knew about my wife through my mom. If you haven't heard our story, <laughs> one for the books, we will be married 30 years this year. Come on, yes. The Lord is good to me. <coughs> and gracious to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> good to Tina for having me. But I, okay, I'm just going to lay it out there, as redneck as it sounds. My mom and my wife bowled together on the league. So that's how we said we met down there at the bowling alley. One time I walked in and my mama was there and she said, son, I want you to meet somebody. And it was Tina, <coughs> and she introduced me to Tina, and uh, we said, hey, and <coughs> that was about it. She told me some things about Tina. She's a good girl. She's a good girl. That's the kind of girl you need, stuff like that. That's what she said. And then about a year went by, and <coughs> Tina made the mistake of asking how I was. And my mom, her, she thinks her name is Jeanette Cupid Martin. <laughs> She thinks she's a little matchmaker. That's her job. <laughs> she sees a single person. She's going to try her best to get them connected. <laughs> but uh, <coughs> my mom said, well, I'll just tell him to give you a call. Give me a number. So she did, and I called, and we, we began to talk a little bit, and we would uh, spend time on the phone talking. We were both at that point in bad relationships, and we were talking as friends. That was it. And uh, the more I talked to her and the more I got to know her, the more I thought, this is somebody I, I don't want to know about. This is someone I want to know. So I went from I knew facts about her to getting to know her. And you know how I did that? Through relationship. And I would, I'm thankful to say that today, 33 or so years later, I know her much better, much more intimately than I did when I started gaining knowledge about her. There was a shift that took place in that relationship from just being cordial and, and communicating to being personal and intimate. And it doesn't have to be physical. We immediately run to physical. It's not that. You can be intimate and not touch. When you begin to share heart to heart, not just head to head or physical, body to body. And after 30 some years, I, I know my wife. You know what? I know how she feels when she walks in the door without her saying a word. I know when I've done something wrong. <laughs> my wife talks with this. 
It doesn't have to be body language or anything like that. She can just look. Hey, baby girl. She can just look at me, and I go, hey, what's the matter? <laughs> Rough day. And you know what I've learned through 30-some years of relationship? It's not my job to fix it. Sometimes it's just my job to be the bobblehead. And listen, but I know that through relationship, through intimacy, through me making her a priority in my life, not to cohabitate with her, but to know her. I know what she likes. I know what her love languages are. I know what her personality is. First 15 years of our marriage, I didn't. And it wasn't beautiful. <laughs> Just being honest, it wasn't beautiful because my personality's here, her personality's here. I'm spontaneous and visionary. She is methodical and, and structured. I thank God for that. Because if it wasn't for her, we might be homeless because I would go, oh, I didn't pay that. But she, she does all that. She knows those things and she does that. And until I knew that, and when, when I was spontaneous, wanted to go do something, and she just wanted to be home and be together, it would cause tension. Because I didn't know her. I knew about her, but I didn't know her. And once I began to know her and believe the things that I knew about her, our relationship shifted. Because you know what? We can be hard-headed men and women, and we can know don't raise your hands because you're guilty already. I'm not looking for affirmation. But you know how to push their buttons if you're in a relationship. You know that thing that will do it. And you know when you've had a rough day and they come in and they're a little snooty, you know you, you want to be coddled and you want to be comforted, men. Y'all just talking to the ladies, didn't you? <laughs> you wanted to be affirmed? And then you see them come in a little edgy, and, and that you know that that's not who they are, but it's something they're going through, and you just go, huh, okay, didn't be like that. You just didn't do this, you didn't do that, and you get on the defensive instead of coming alongside to affirm, encourage, and give what you need. You know the buttons to push, so we know also through relationship, what not to do. And it's what we believe. I, and here's what I believe. Our love is more important than me being right. I would love to say I figured that out early in my marriage. I didn't. What are you saying? Here's what I believe and what's the truth in my life right now. Is that it's more important for us to walk in unity than me to prove my point. That's, that's changed our marriage tremendously because I don't just know about her, I know her. And when I know her, I make adjustments. Because here's, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. What you believe, what you really believe affects how you live. It's not just a belief system. It's not a structure or a system. It's the core of who I am. It's the foundation of who I am. And this is how I move forward. I believe this. Here's a little simple thing. It's kind of 
trivial. I believe that if you speed, you'll get a ticket. I believe that. Sooner or later, you might be the one that beats the odds for a season, but sooner or later, if you speed, you will get a ticket. I believe that. So you know what I do? I don't speed intentionally. I might run five miles over the speed limit, but I don't run 10, 15 miles over the speed limit because I know what happens when you do that. And it's a chain reaction. It's not just one thing. The Word says no one lives to themselves and no one dies to themselves. So here's what I know. If I believe something but I go against my beliefs, it doesn't just affect me. It affects everyone connected to me. So if I believe that speeding is wrong but I continue to speed, you know what? It doesn't just affect me. I don't just get the pink little piece of paper that says you got to go to court because you broke the law. And I can rebuke it and I can do all this stuff, but I was the one in the wrong. It doesn't just affect me. It affects us because it affects our insurance rating. It affects the money that comes in and how it goes out. It affects our, the, our way of life just because I went against what I believe. So when we go against what we believe, it affects not just us, but those around us. So Ezekiel 37, verse 1. <clears throat> the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me, in, brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Here's where I was going when I went off on that whole tangent just a minute ago. It's, I love to see how supernatural our God is. Ezekiel said, the hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. He had an encounter with the Lord. The Lord brought him out. He sat me down in the midst of the valley. It was full. Then he caused me to pass by. Uh, it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were many uh, in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? You know what that is? That's a question. He asked him a question. Son of man, can these bones live? I love his answer. It's very safe. So I answered, oh, Lord, God, you know. <laughs> oh, Lord, God, you know if they can live or not. <laughs> and he said this. He said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put uh, breath in you. And you shall live, then you, will, you shall know that I am the Lord. That word, the Lord, there, the Lord is Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a, a noise, and suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from, from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and breath came into them, and they lived, and, I, and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. The Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, is speaking to Ezekiel, but he said, Ezekiel, there's something you've got to do talked earlier uh, about Nanette saying that we've got a lot of adjectives about I feel like I'm, I'm gifted, I'm artistic, I'm all this, but what is the verb that you're putting with it? He said, son of man. He asked him a question. He said, son of man, can these bones live? And he said, oh, Lord God, you know. 
And the next thing the Lord said to him, it says, okay, do something. Out of your belief, do something. He said, he said, prophesy. Prophesy to these bones. So he did. He prophesied to the bones and said, the sinew and the, everything came together, but there was no breath in it. So he said again, prophesy to the breath. And as I was looking at this and meditating on this, the Lord said this to me out of Psalms 115, 16. To the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So Jehovah, covenant God, comes to man and says, I want to partner with you because I've given the earth to man and I need a man. I need a man. So he said to Ezekiel, here's what I want you to say. But Ezekiel had to give his voice to what God was saying. He believed who the Lord was, and he said what the Lord was saying. And when he did, structure started happening, right? Bones started coming together. Then he said again, he said, prophesy, breathe on them. The bones came together, and this is kind of how the, the Lord was putting it together. The bones coming together, they were scattered, they were everywhere. The, Lord's com the bones coming together can be our, our theology or our doctrine. We can get our bones together as we study scriptures and study to find out what these scriptures mean, the truth that they hold. But until we believe, and I liken believing to the breath of God, that he said, now prophesy breath. You prophesy to the breath for it to breathe into them and bring life. See, until, and that's what happens sometimes when we're reading the word and we're studying the word, and we've read a scripture that we've read before, but this time the breath of God comes on it, and it comes alive on the inside of us, and now it's not a good truth to teach. Now it's a belief that I shape my life by. And what I've seen um, over the past, I don't know, months, absolutely since January as the Lord's had me just meditating on Abraham is he's he said Todd when you believe something then you'll enter into the rest of it you'll not strive to see it come to pass you'll enter into the rest of that belief Hebrews says this Hebrews 4 chapter chapter 4 verse 2 for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those that heard it for we have believed we who have believed do enter, in, enter that rest, as he said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Listen, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. What God had put in place for us to be able to walk in was established from the foundation of the world. Right? But when we believe, we enter into the rest of what that promise, what that covenant is. And when we believe, then the power of that is released into our lives. And then we can live from it, not just towards it. We can live from it. It's totally different. If we're living towards something, we want to attain it. If we're living from something, it's already ours. Mute me.
So if I'm living towards a truth, then my hope is that one day I'll get it. If I'm living front of, from a truth, I know that it's mine. Even though I don't see the full manifestation of it, I know it's mine, and I'm living from it, not to get it, but because it is mine. See, when we live from the righteousness of God instead of to the righteousness of God, we understand that it didn't come by what I did. It came by what he did. And when I live from that truth, I don't run from him. I run to him. Listen. Um, Psalms 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path, my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have held, hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That's good. Amen. That's good. But when we believe it, when we believe it, we'll never run from him. We'll run to him. Even in our frailty, in our mistakes, we'll run to him because we know he knows the thoughts. He knows the words that before they form on my tongue. He knows my sitting down and my getting up, my coming in and my going out. He already knows it. And if I believe that he loves me because of his love, not my love or my perfection toward him, then I'll run to him, not from him. So when there's an invitation to, to encounter or whatever, I won't go, yeah, but I don't want God to see this. He sees it, and he still loves you. But when we believe that, we'll stop waiting for just a word or the right word or for breakthrough, whatever breakthrough looks like, and we'll start living broken through. Because I believe that he loves me. I believe that what he said he'll do, that he's faithful. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He'll be with me from this time forth, even forevermore. See, my heart for this body is not that we quit learning, but that we start believing. Because when we believe, we live differently. When we believe, whatever that is, when we believe that he is good, even when things don't look good, what I know is this, that God is good, and the greater one lives in me, and he's given me authority over this, so I've just got to walk forward in patience and faith, believing and not being staggered by what I'm not seeing. Uh, let, let me do this, Abraham. Romans 4, verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, 
but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. So he said it's verse 16. Therefore, it's of faith that it might be according to grace. Here's how faith and grace work together. Faith appropriates, it grabs hold of what grace has already provided. Grace, God's unmerited favor, his goodness has provided for us righteousness, salvation, peace, joy, health, wholeness, provision. It's provided all of that. The word salvation itself, it means every one of those. Healing, prosperity, protection, the word salvation, that's what it means. So he's saying that (coughs) when when we believe that, that's what's released into our life. Whether we're seeing all of that manifest right now, when we believe it, faith takes hold of what grace has already provided. Okay. That it might be according to grace. So the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom believed who believe God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he might become the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. So Abraham, looking at God who calls those things that be not as though they were. What's one thing that we can say right from the gun that Abraham, God declared that from Abraham. He said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Did Abraham have a son? Not by the promise, not, not by his wife, Sarah. He said, not by the one that you did on your own, <laughs> the works of the flesh. He said, I'm going to give you a son. And when God said that, Abraham shifted. When he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, he didn't go back and consider Abram anymore. He walked in his identity as Abraham. And is walking in that identity as Abraham, he, God added his ha, his grace, his breath to Abram. And he said, this thing that's going to happen is going to happen because of me, not because of what you do. Now, was Abraham intimately involved in that process? Absolutely, just physical science, people. Abraham was intimately involved in that process. But had he not believed, he would have never entered into intimacy. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened. In faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he had promised that what he had promised, he was able also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. It says here in verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider. So one of the things that causes strength in our belief system is not considering everything that looks contrary to what we're believing. That does not mean that I deny what's happening. What it means is I deny it's right to stay because I know the promise that's mine. 
Are you with me? I'm not talking about denial. I don't have pain here. I don't have pain here. I don't have pain there. That's not going to do anything for you. But if you believe that Jesus bore your pain, then what you'll say is this. There might be pain manifest in my body, but I know it cannot stay because Jesus bore it for me. So I move from wanting to get it to knowing it's mine, and I live from where it's mine, and the manifestation comes out of who I am, my identity, not out of me trying to grab something God hadn't provided or try to convince God to do something that he hadn't already done. So when I believe it, I can have joy that we talked about today, even in the midst of the time that it's not looking like I want it to look, not because I celebrate my pain or whatever, but I celebrate his goodness in knowing that he is faithful. What did Abraham say? What did it say of Abraham? He did not waver. He didn't consider his own body dead and the deadness of Sarah. He did not waver through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Why? Being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Here's what I know. What you believe will change how you walk. I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but Abraham believed that Isaac was his son of promise. He believed it because he, he came out of his dead body, his wife's dead womb. Isaac came forth, the son of promise, and he told him through him all the nations of the world to be blessed. So when God said, Abraham, I want to take your son, your only son, I want you to take him up on the mountain that I will show you. He didn't even tell him where he was going. He said, I want you to take him to the mountain, I will show you, and I want you to sacrifice him there. Abraham, we know the story. I hope you know the story. Abraham and his servants, they go, he and the lad. It's a three days journey. Three days journey. I think about that so much. Because it wasn't like he just stepped outside of town after the Lord said it, and there it was, and it was, we can do it. But three days, he had the opportunity. Was as he going to consider the ramifications of murdering his son? You know, the son that God said that all the nations of the world would be blessed through? Was he going to consider that? Was he going to consider, what if I kill him and it ends everything? What if I kill him and it, kill, and it ends me? Because the law hadn't been given, but murder was still wrong. The Lord told uh, Cain that his brother's blood was speaking. <laughs> right? He had a lot that he could have considered in three days, but it said he did not consider his body dead. So I believe that that became a foundation in Abraham's life as he said, I'm not going to consider anything that looks contrary to what God's already told me. How different would our lives look if we didn't consider anything that, we were, that was contrary to who God has said he is to us? Even when you bind, rebuke, cast out, speak in tongues, and it doesn't change. Wow. Abraham did not waver through unbelief because he did not consider anything other than God and his faithfulness. I'm telling you, this might not be for you. Maybe this is just a message for me today. But here's what I know. When I believe something and I choose not to consider, it changes how I walk. I wish we had already taken up the offering, which we don't take it anyway. You have an opportunity to give. It's these wooden boxes up here. 
But <coughs> the word says this, given to be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom, given to be given to you. In Mark, he said, there's not anyone in this world who's of houses, lands, fathers, mother, any of that, that, that he won't receive a hundredfold in this lifetime. It says uh, in Corinthians that Jesus became poor that we might be rich. Right? Those are all scriptures. They're all truths from the word of God. There are things that many of us, most of us have knowledge about. But if we really believed it, that's hard, as we really believe it, and God touches something, maybe it's your new something. Maybe you just got $1,000 in the bank. You've never had $1,000 in the bank. And I don't want you to put $1,000 in the offering today. I'm not asking for that. But I'm saying if you believe, if you, if we, because I'm on the journey too, all right? I'm not here pointing at you. I'm on the journey with you because the Lord is shaking all this in me. I've asked him, God, shake what can be shaken. Shake what can be shaken. I don't want to believe. I don't want to think that I believe something that I don't believe. I just know. Can you say that? Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to say, God, shake anything in me that's shakable? I don't want to just think I, I, I believe it when all I really is know about it. Because he's been saying to me, not in the, just in the area of giving, but if we believe those scriptures that I just quoted, if we believe those and the Lord put in our heart and you had $100 in your pocket and he said, I want you to give 80 to so-and-so, we wouldn't go into considering what could happen if I didn't have that money in my pocket. We wouldn't go considering the bill that's already due, that that money's not even enough to cover, but it's halfway there. If, as we believe that truth, when the Lord touches that, as we believe that he said, you are anointed, you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things, as, he, if, as we believe, he said that, Greater work, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also? And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father? John 14. You know what's amazing in that passage of Scripture? John 14, 10, Jesus is seven, saying to the, to the religious leaders, he said, why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe the words that I'm saying? They're not my words, they're his words. He said, but you don't believe me. He said, if you don't believe my words, at least believe the works that you see me doing. The works testify of who I am because no man has ever done what he had done. He said, if you don't believe my words, believe my works. And that's right in the context of all that. When he's talking about the works that he did, raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out devils with his word. Not with toiling and fighting and fasting and prayer. That's not what that's talking about. When it says this kind only comes out by fasting and prayer, it's not talking about devils. It's talking about unbelief. In the context of that, he said, greater works than these will, shall you do. So I'm just telling you, the Lord has been shaking what I know and what I believe. Because if we know, that's great. I've, I have information I can share. But if I believe, I'll live it and people will see it. And it's easy. It's not always easy. It can, you can su suffer some persecution for sharing what you know. But it's a different level when you share who you are because of what you believe. It's then, I think, that we enter into the sufferings of Jesus that it talks about uh, those in, in Romans about if we're sons, we'll reign with him, we'll also suffer with him. 
we were talking about this in a small group Wednesday night. I believe that uh, Courtney brought it up. It was so good that when we, <coughs> when we believe and we enter in with him, the suffering is we begin to see like he sees, and Jesus was moved with compassion. So you won't see someone who rubs you the wrong way as just someone with a bad personality or someone that rubs you the wrong way. You'll see him with the eyes of love that he sees him. And instead of just saying, God, get him away, you'll say, God, how can we get to him? You know what that changes? That changes everything. That changes community because now in community, I don't sit over here and someone else sits over there. Now I say, Holy Spirit, who are you loving on today and how can I love on? I don't want to look at their flesh. I don't want to look at their manifestation because that's just what they're doing. It's not who they are. I want to see them for who they are so that I can love them how you love them so they can be who you've called them to be. Because until we can love them where they are into who they are, they won't be who God's called them to be. And if we believe that he's our rewarder, then we can love them even if we don't receive the love back. We can love them even when they rub us the wrong way. Consider to give careful thought or consideration to something. I want to just, I'll share this. I've got so, so much here, but I'm not. Um, I got two weeks backed up in there. <laughs> he said this. I just want to read this out of Romans 4 one more time, 19. He said, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver. The word waver there in the Greek means this, to withdraw from, to separate thoroughly. So when Abraham looked at the natural, he didn't withdraw from God because it didn't look in the natural like what he thought it should look like. He didn't withdraw. And it's been said so many times here today if, uh, about your walk with the Lord, whether it's as intimate as you want it to be or whatever. You know, when we make mistakes, we withdraw from the Lord. And, and you know what that is? That's wavering. And he said, don't waver. I'm faithful and I love you in spite of you. That's encouraging. He did not waver. He didn't separate himself. He didn't withdraw from the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened. <coughs> and that word strengthened there is from two uh, Greek words, in, which is a positional uh, place, and dunamis, which is power. And it literally means this, that Abraham was inside of power in faith because he did not allow his mind to waver. It didn't just say he had power. It said he was inside of power in faith. Why? Because he did not consider. See, here's what I want to encourage us as I close, as I stop. Here's what I want to encourage us. What are we considering? Because what you consider affects what you believe, and what you believe affects how you live. And what are we not considering? There are some things that we don't need to consider. When the enemy lies and says, yeah, I know that's what that preacher said or that's what that prophetic word was, but this is who you are. This is where you are. This is what's going on. When you don't consider that and you consider what he said, then you're not wavering. You're not separating yourself from the promise of God. You're not allowing unbelief to come in. You're and you know what's so beautiful? It's what Hebrews 4 says. Let's stand. It's a place of rest.
Because it's not me trying to get God to do something. It's not me trying to produce something. It's me saying, God, I knew this, but now I believe this so I can rest in it. Because it's not me that's performing it, but it's what you've already provided. So as I believe what he's provided, then the life of it's released into me. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that in spite of contradicting circumstances or situations, you are true, you are good, and you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as Abraham, our father Abraham, believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, right standing, right position with you, God, from that righteousness flows the life of God. It, it, It opens the door for everything Jesus provided for us. So, God, I thank you for a culture, a body that is not proud of what we know, but is humble in what we believe. And the fruit of that belief is manifested here. It's manifested in um, our homes. It's manifested in our workplaces. That we don't go somewhere try to be like. We go and we manifest the light that's in us, the who we've become because of who we are in you. That we live as sons, not orphans. That we live as sons and we live as heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus the Lord. And we know that everything that's in the Father's house is ours. Everything that's in the Father's house is ours. Because we're heirs and joint heirs. So, Lord, I ask, solidify in us, God, that we would not keep to ourselves knowledge which puffs up. God, we would believe the truth that we have from your word, the knowledge that we have, that faith would arise and life would release. And that we would say, even as Jesus said, because we're in him, that we must be about our father's business. Whatever that looks like, if it's loving the unlovely, if it's healing the sick, Raising the dead, casting out devils. It's being sons of God on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. That's my heart and my prayer for us. My vision for this church. I, I have a vision for us to be here in this school. I think there's a reason that we're here. And I just, I want to share... Um, Yurik came up to me last week after the service, and he said, man, I was, I don't know if it was in worship or where it was, but he had a a vision, right, of angels, and he said, I saw angelic activity in this building, not just during our service, and this is what I've been praying, this is why I believe God has brought us here, he said, but I saw while, while we weren't even in the building, because of us honoring him in this place, hosting his presence in this place, he said, I saw kids working on their schoolwork that they were having the trouble with, that ministering spirits came and helped the children. 
he said that there were kids that were bickering and in an argument, about to get in a fight, and the, and the angel of the Lord came in and broke it up. He said, I, I literally saw, because we're hosting the presence of God here, that even when we're not here, those angels are still on assignment in this place because we've hallowed this place to him. That there's angelic activity going on. That, that he, he is doing things that, that he may not get the credit for. And you know what? He doesn't have an ego problem. He's not like, hey, I broke up that fight and nobody said God did it. But that there's a difference that's taking place in this place. And it's because we said yes to be here. And I think it's just the beginning of what the Lord is doing. I think there is going to be more of a practical expression that we have here. But I want to challenge us all to just go before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be, I will be faithful that every time you put the school on my heart, I'll pray for it. And it doesn't have to be, I'll pray this and this and this to happen. I'll just pray for the school, that God, you would be glorified in the school through us being there when we're not there, whatever, pray in tongues over it, whatever he leads you to do. But as it comes to your heart, and if you say, well, it doesn't come to my heart, then put it on a sticky note and stick it on your dash. Let's just put some practicality to our spirituality. If it's not before you, say, God, I want to be conscious of it. I want to make a habit of being conscious of it. Not legalistic or ritualistic, but I want to be, be intentional. And let's pray and see what God does. Because I, 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 I see the things that he's doing, and it's exciting to me. And it may look like uh, it's just a little, but I'm thankful that he does it little by little so that we don't get overwhelmed. That's what he told the children of Israel. He said, I'll drive the beasts out ahead of you little by little because if I drive them all, I mean, I'll drive the inhabitants out little by little because if I drive them all out at one time, I wipe them all out, then the beast will overtake it and you'll have more of a fight than you'd have had if you just took it yourself as I gave you power to do it. Little by little. Poco a poco. Little by little.